Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Hello and welcome to another fantastic episode of Tasting Anarchy. I am your host, Jacob Lindsay, and today I am joined by no one. Mason and I actually kind of had like a hiccup in communication. I'm supposed to be going somewhere tonight with my wife and... I wanted to do it earlier, but I'm in Texas and he's in Virginia and we both said one o'clock, but one o'clock to me is two o'clock to him and one o'clock to him is 12 o'clock to me. So there was kind of like a, a miscommunication. So we texted back and forth a little bit and decided, you know what, let's not skip this week. We've got uh, some cool information. So I'll take part of the episode and he'll take the other part and we'll kind of split it up into two mini episodes. So... What he normally asks is, Jacob, what are you drinking tonight? And what I'm drinking tonight is actually a shipment from my uh, very large collection of wine that I recently received from Last Bottle Wines. I had about 130 bottles delivered. And the one that I'm drinking today is Chateau Fleur de Lys, uh, which is that like kind of little Frenchy flower looking thing, uh, Fleur de Lys. And uh, it's from St. Emilion. It's uh, their Grand Cru for 2016. It That is a right bank of Bordeaux, for those of you who don't know. And right bank tends to be more Merlot heavy, a little bit uh, smoother than left bank, which is like Madoc and, and I think it's out Madoc, hot Madoc. I'm not really sure exactly how to say it. I, I People keep telling me and I keep messing it up. But uh, I think it's a really great wine. It's actually an interesting blend uh, because, like I said, typically they are very heavy Merlot. And this one is very heavy Merlot, but the dominant grape in this one is Cabernet Franc. So it's 50% Cabernet Franc, 49% Merlot, and 1% Cabernet Sauvignon. There is no Petit Verdot in it, which is, is interesting. And I honestly, I think this is a very good wine. I'm not sure the best way to describe it, but it's uh, elegant, I guess would be the correct way to describe it. It's very smooth. It's got a nice body. Uh, It has a lot of uh, berry notes. It's a little bit of crushed black pepper in it. Um, I would say maybe like pomegranate or cranberry maybe. Uh, There is uh, some cherry notes to it. It, It's got, it's a, it does have more tannin than I would expect from a right bank Bordeaux, but it's, they're smooth tannins, so that makes sense. Um, Maybe you can hear my dog barking in the background. But, um, anyways, so yeah, very fresh, very, uh, very new tasting. I think with some age, this is going to be much better. It is a 2016, so I could probably leave this on my shelf for the next couple of years, and in a few years, it'll be excellent. But it's also very good right now. And for St. Emilion, I got this for $30 a bottle on Last Bottle Wines. Actually, $29 a bottle on Last Bottle Wines. And uh, for St. Emilion, that's actually a really, really good deal. It does tend to be a little bit more expensive. I think that... Mason and I have talked about this before. I think that it's uh, Cadillac, I think, is just south of St. Emilion or just inland a little bit from St. Emilion. And you can get very similar wines for a lot better price. Uh, But this actually does hit the price point that is kind of my general area, which is between, you know, $20 and $40 a bottle. So this is pretty much right in the middle of my price point. 
Uh, I'm very pleased with it. And, uh, you know, I recommend if you can find it. I don't know what the availability is besides Last Bottle Wine. But if you want to save $10 um, on your first order at Last Bottle Wine, so you can go over to tastingenergy.com and get our discount code. And that will uh, <laughs> give you $10 off. So check that out. So the topics that Mason and I decided to split up the one that he's going to talk about, I kind of will let him get into because it's an article that he found. What I want to talk about is some of the craziness that's going on in South America right now. So in South America, there does there's a lot of protests going on. A lot of people are calling this the the Arab Spring of South America, although there's no Arabs there, so that 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 doesn't make sense to me that they would call it that. But whatever. So there are some protests as I'm sure many of you know, in Chile, in Peru, in Ecuador, in Bolivia, in Venezuela still. And there's some stuff going on in Argentina which, due to everything that's going on around them, might end up being worse. Um, So I kind of wanted to sort of go through each of these countries and say briefly what's going on. And by briefly, I mean I made about a sentence summary of everything, which is... All of the situations are way more complicated than this, but this is just kind of a general idea. And then I wanted to get into what this could mean for wine. Uh, There's still a lot of development going on. It could turn out that none of this really impacts anything at all as far as the wine industry goes. But uh, there's things happening down there that that could ultimately make wine from South America either more difficult to get or change the price, um, things like that. So Chile, which is... Uh, one of Mason's and my favorite South American producers of wine. What's going on there right now is that there was a subway fare increase uh, that doesn't amount to too much for us in America, but, you know, might be be a substantial amount for them down there. And this sort of ignited protests uh, where they have, for better or for worse, you know, been burning subway cars and, and kind of rioting and wrecking a lot of stuff. And uh, these protests evolved from just being protests against the subway fare increase into just protests in general against the government. The government is a uh, center-right by South American standards. So center-right by South American standards is not the same as a center-right uh, government in like the United States or Canada or somewhere like that. This is, well, maybe in Canada it's similar, but this is basically they're like moderate socialists. So... They, they do have a lot of, you know, public programs and things like that, and um, but they don't give away everything for free like many socialist governments, and so uh, the young people that are currently protesting that are most impacted by the subway fares are protesting this government. They're asking for more handouts and that sort of stuff. Uh, most recently, uh, oh, and by the way, the, the center-right government is democratically elected by international standards, so if you believe in democracy, which I won't speak for Mason, but I think in this case I probably can. I don't believe in democracy. I'm pretty sure Mason doesn't really believe in it either. But if under the guise of believing in democracy, if you think that this is a legitimate government because it was democratically elected, well, this particular government through international review has been elected legitimately. There's not a lot of corruption, that sort of stuff going on. It's just that a certain number of people in the capital city in Chile are particularly unhappy with them and they're causing a lot of ruckus and that is what's shaping things up. So um, one of the things that they're trying to do to appease these rioters is to rewrite the constitution, but the rioters are saying, no, we want the, instead of rewriting the constitution that was written under Pinochet, 
we want a completely new constitution. So no more rewriting it is we want to be included in writing a new one. And so that's kind of where the Chile situation's at. It's a little bit odd and complicated, but um, that's what's going on there. I'll kind of get into what I'm a little bit worried about in wine in a minute, but let's move on to Peru. So Peru is uh, right north of Chile. Uh, there is some wine industry there, but not a lot right now. Uh, their uh, president, his name is uh, Martin Vazcar. Uh, I could be pronouncing that incorrectly, but he has um, been fighting corruption in their Congress for quite some time, and uh, their their Congress has kind of basically been fighting back, and as a result, the the quote-unquote people have risen up and started rioting in Peru. So that's kind of what's going on there is there's there's basically a fight for power. There, the, the president, I don't know what his politics are and I don't know what their Congress politics are, but it's a very corrupt government. The current president is saying that he's fighting corruption, although there is stuff that I've read online that says that he's quite corrupt himself. Whatever the case is, that's, that's what's going on in Peru. Ecuador... Um, one of the things that ignited their protests is that there used to be a gasoline subsidy and the subsidy was removed by the, uh, it, I guess they're, they're considered center-right government. Uh, they removed it and as a result, uh, left-leaning groups and students have risen up and are protesting the removal of the gasoline subsidies because the people who benefit the most from subsidies and things like gasoline are people who are usually poor uh, students and uh, the quote-unquote working class, which are considered left, which isn't always the case. But in this case, that that's what they're saying the protests are. So that that's kind of what's happening in Ecuador. Uh, Bolivia is also very interesting. So Evo uh, Morales, I'm going to say. Uh, again, I could be pronouncing that wrong. I am painfully white. So my pronunciation of Spanish names is not great. Uh, but Evo Morales, uh, he's a socialist president, basically. Um, he's been driven out of the country uh, after a- accusations from far right wing forces and the military uh, that he was, I guess, apparently very corrupt and, and stuff. I guess so they basically they kicked him out, but people really liked him. And so they've risen up in protest against the military and the quote-unquote far-right-wing forces in Bolivia, and that's causing uh, a lot of strife, and they're trying to get him to come back. Uh, it, it's it's sort of hard to tell what the, what the deal is in a lot of these countries because a lot of times, particularly like in Bolivia, it's, it's that Evo is probably corrupt and also everybody else is corrupt. So it's not like anybody's good. It's just that the, the one side saw an opportunity to kick the other side out, and now that side that that their leader was kicked out they're upset and so now they're they're orchestrating these protests and i think there's other things going on in bolivia i've heard that a lot of this is um has a lot of like cuban and venezuelan influence into it that i also have heard that there's cia influence in it i i don't know if any of that's true it's hard for me to believe that cuba or venezuela can really do anything at this point they're both incredibly impoverished uh but you know, maybe, maybe that's the case. Uh, but moving on to somebody who I just mentioned, Venezuela. Well, what's going on in Venezuela? Same thing that's been going on for the last two or three years. It's a failed socialist system. They were paying for everything with oil money. The price of oil collapsed, and they couldn't afford it anymore. So they're the. I think it's. 
I think they have a, it's either the Bolivar or the Peso. I can't remember what their money is, but uh, it collapsed. And so they've started inflating and stuff like that. There's a lot of unrest, but the government, Maduro's government has maintained control so far. Uh, there was a failed CIA coup of Maduro, um, and it turned out that the person that the CIA was backing was equally corrupt and also a socialist, so it wouldn't have been really an improvement. It was just that he had backing from the United States government. And so Venezuela, nothing really new there. It's just that renewed protests as a result of protests going on elsewhere that have kind of emboldened the people who are already protesting. Then... Argentina, which doesn't actually have any widespread problems going on right now, but there are some interesting things that are going on. And because of what el- of all the other things that are going on in South America, let's keep an eye on this because Argentina is important when it comes to wine production. So uh, things are starting to kind of heat up a little bit down there as a result um, of everything going on around them, as I said. Uh, recently, the voters rejected austerity measures, uh, and the way that they did this was by electing left-leaning government. And by left-leaning, that would be, I think, Bernie Sanders for South America. So it's when 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 the media is kind of presenting, like in South American terms, far right and left-leaning. What they really mean is like left-leaning is like Bernie Sanders socialists, and far right is like Al Gore. It's not they're they're not like right and left like the way that most people think of them. It's not like Pinochet versus you know Bernie Sanders or whoever. But it's 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 or and when it's like far right versus left leaning, it's not Hillary Clinton. Well, actually, I guess Hillary Clinton. Well, I don't want to bring that up, but it's basically it's like socialists versus like less socialists. That's what they're talking about. There's very few like there's very few people who other than maybe in Chile people who really like Pinochet. There, there's very few people who are like, yeah, let's just get the government out of everything. It's more people who are like, instead of giving free college, we're going to give discounted college. That's right wing to them. Discounted college is right wing. Okay, so that's kind of how they're presenting it. So, kind of let's go. Let's go ahead and, and talk about some of the impact. <coughs> some of the impact of what's going on in South America in um, the economy. So, one of the things that that people are very interested in when it comes to Bolivia, which is the first country I'll talk about when it comes to wine is not necessarily the wine industry stuff. It has to do with their lith- lithium contracts. So uh, they call lithium white gold. Uh, there was a lot of stuff going on in uh, Bolivia because they're a very large source of lithium and copper to a lesser extent. But uh, with the global market increase in, in needing electric, like lithium ion batteries from electric cars to cell phones to you know p- portable speakers, everything in between you've got to find a source of, of lithium. And uh, Bolivia has quite a bit of that. It's, it's a very mountainous country. There's a lot of mines and stuff. They're very mineral rich, although they are very poor. Um, they that That's one thing that we should keep an eye on, that, that whatever's going on there. And what's interesting is that some of the sites that have lithium are just high desert. They don't really impact anything, but uh, in countries that go socialist, they usually start basically raping the environment, and that is that proves a problem for uh, the wine industry. Now, Bolivia has a growing wine industry. It's all it's it's not huge, but it is growing and it is uh, starting to be widely respected in South American wine. Uh, they specialize in high altitude grapes, particularly Tanat. Um, well, they specialize in grapes 
in high altitude grapes, but also in grapes that have thicker skin because they're close to the equator. And so you need a thicker skin on your grapes so that they don't get sun damage. So Tanat is one of the grapes that they are growing there. And apparently that's one of the ones that is, I've never had it. It's very difficult to get this outside of Bolivia or uh, they export it to Chile, I guess, but it doesn't really get to the United States very often. Uh, So it's very difficult to try these wines, but they are highly regarded and well-respected uh, in that region. So we'll see We'll see what happens when we actually get them here. High altitude can usually make up for a lot of the uh, issues with uh, growing grapes close to the equator. Uh, that's because it gets the nice diurnal temperatures, which is the dif- different, different, differentiating temperatures between night and day. Bolivia has that. You, they're growing stuff that are that's like an elevation of like a mile or more. It, they're super high up there. And... Anyways, like I said, it's it's mostly around the Tarija or Taria, uh, T A R I J A region, which is close to the border of Argentina. Uh, it's very high altitude, like I said. So that it's South Bolivia, high altitude. Uh, it, they're they're learning a lot about how to grow wine grapes in that area. So there's something to keep an eye on. If their government goes full blown socialist, I don't really expect anything to come out of there. Uh, unless China gets really involved, which they might, because China does have a, a high demand for things like copper and lithium. So if they get involved, this the socialist government takes over and and remains in power. Uh, and their China also has a high appetite for wine, so we might see their market start transitioning into exporting along with natural resources to China exporting wines to China. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I think it's going to be really interesting, something to keep an eye on. Peru, similar situation. Not really well known for their wine, but there is some good wine coming out of Peru. Uh, they have the same thing, very high altitude wines, uh, very very southern border, kind of close to Chile, uh, way up in the mountains. And I've had actually one Peruvian wine. I didn't think it was spectacular, but it was also only like $9. So, I don't know if it was a bad wine that just happened to come from Peru or I might have had two. One of my, one might have been a little more expensive, but the one I remember wasn't good. And I've also heard though online there's there's reviews for Peruvian wine that is good, so we'll see what's going on there. The the two big players that I'm a little bit worried about is Chile and Argentina. So Argentina so far nothing really going on there. That's 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 good. Let's hope that hope that kind of things settle down there as far as from a wine perspective. If it comes to like people being free, that's a whole other thing. But I'm selfish. I want good wine, and I love Argentinian Malbec, so I'd like to see stuff continue to go out there. So, kind of table to Argentina. Let's keep an eye on it. We'll, we'll give you updates on tasting anarchy in the future about what's going on in Argentina if things do heat up. If nothing heats up, then you won't hear from us again, and you'll you'll only hear when I'm giving reviews of really great Argentinian Malbecs that I picked up. But in Chile, that's where I'm a little bit more concerned. They have. A quote-unquote center-right government rewriting constitution that went into effect in the late 70s. Uh, they rewrite this constitution all the time. They keep making amendments. So I think in 2005, they made a bunch of uh, a bunch of changes to it. So it's not as unusual as people would say. But if we're, if we're looking that the, the Pinochet legacy, which was as much of a bad guy and a dictator as, as he was, it was kind of a free market for the most part. And they did do a lot during that government to promote the Chilean wine industry for expanding. And if they're going to undo a lot of that stuff, it's going to make it difficult for 
so wineries in a lot of countries are are traditionally held in wealthy old money families. That's not an unusual case in Chile. Now there is a lot of foreign uh, investors and some of the new wineries are different, but there's a lot of old vines there. And I'm just a little bit worried that some of these old vines that are not on American rootstock will get torn up as a result of some sort of authoritarian government coming into power, whether it be left or right. Now they did have sort of an authoritarian right-wing government under Pinochet and wine was still able to be developed and flourished. It was as long as you were not a communist, basically you were allowed to do whatever you wanted. But under a socialist government, the big thing that they're protesting is inequality. What does inequality mean? Who knows? But usually the target of people who are complaining about inequality are wealthy families, the wealthy families that own wineries. They have the experience to produce good wine. They've been producing good wine for a long time. They have old vines in the ground. These are all things that we should want to preserve and hope that Chile is able to come out of this, even if they get a largely socialist government, come out of this with the wineries staying in the hands of the people who are currently making wine and that it stays open enough for new people with with new ideas to come into the industry as well. So that's really all I've got to say today. I, I think that South America is one that Mason and I are going to keep our eye on because things are heating up. It's a little bit concerning in the wine world, but I don't see anything in Decanter yet about it. I don't think it, see anything in Wine Spectator or any of this stuff. Nobody really seems to think that these these things that are happening because it is pretty standard for South America. You know, it's it's not like they've had, like I said, Chile has rewritten their constitution as, as recently as 2005. So it's not like this type of thing doesn't happen there relatively frequently. So maybe it's not as big of a deal as, as it seems, but I think we're going to continue to keep an eye on this. Uh, that's it. So from Jake at Tasting Anarchy, go and check me out at Tasting Anarchy on Twitter, or you can email me, tastinganarchy at gmail.com. I usually get back to those pretty timely. Uh, if you, Like I said, if you want to save money and get a, a delicious wine like this Chateau Florida Lease from Last Bottle Wines, you can save $10 by going to tastinganarchy.com and signing up for um, Last Bottle Wines using our link. It gives you 10 bucks off. We get a kickback when you make your first order. Uh, that is it. I'll go ahead and put this up as quickly as I can. And... Mason will be having a mini episode coming out soon as well, so keep your eye out for that. Stay free, everybody. Knock down windows and tan down doors. Drinking Afghans and calling for more. Drinking wine, spoody, you to drink wine. Wine, spoody, you to drink wine. Wine, spoody, you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peterstown, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine, for the you to drink wine. Wine, for the you to drink wine. Wine, for the you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Cherry, cherry. Blackberry. Horton sherry. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's Den. He wasn't selling but American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the order, drink wine. Wine for the order, drink wine. Wine for the order, drink wine. Pass that bottle.
about me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some buys fifth and some buys four. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, soda, you drink wine. Wine, soda, you drink wine. Bye-bye.